Hi guys, Amy here. Before we get going, I would just like to remind you of our usual disclaimer. We mean no offence or disrespect to anyone involved in these cases. This is all information we have found online and have condensed into one episode. This being said, let's get started. Hi guys and welcome to this week's episode of Girls Talk Crime. I'm Amy and I'm here with Jenny. Hi. And Georgia. Hello there. So this crime includes some domestic abuse, some pickerism. Now if you don't know what that is, don't worry because we'll cover that later on in this episode. And the cooking of human flesh. And a head. Seriously guys, this is a warning. If you're about to eat, just, just don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might you might be a little bit put off. <laughs> this story starts on the twenty fourth of October, nineteen fifty five, in Moore, New South Wales, in Australia. Now that's around nine thousand four hundred forty two miles from where we are recording this podcast today in Georgia's living room. <laughs> it's actually tidy today, guys. It is clean. Oh, I'm impressed. It's <laughs> not a crime scene. <laughs> Catherine Mary Knight was raised by her mother Barbara and her father Ken. A big part of why Catherine went on to commit such a violent crime could be pieced together from her unconventional upbringing. Before Catherine was born, Barbara and her first husband named Jack Rohan, Barbara and Jack had four children, born in their marital home in Aberdeen, New South Wales. Barbara went on to have an adulterous relationship with her husband's co-worker Ken. And as they lived in a small town, when the locals found out, this gossip went around like wildfire. This is when they moved to Moore, which is where Catherine was born. Once this move took place, the current children were split up. Two children moved with their father and the other two children went to live with their auntie in Sydney. Later, two of Barbara and Jack's boys would move back in with Barbara and Ken in 1959, due to the death of their father Jack. Barbara then had an additional four children, which takes us back to 1955, on the 24th of October. Catherine was born with her younger twin sister. Growing up, Catherine had thought to be quite isolated. She really only communicated with her twin sister and uncle. But come 1968, around the age of 13, her uncle passed away, leaving her devastated. Catherine was brought up witnessing the brutality of domestic abuse by her father to her mother Barbara. Ken was an alcoholic and would openly force rape upon Barbara up to 10 times a day. Barbara would go on to express the intimate details of her sex life with her children. As you do. This would give Catherine a negative image of relationships, sex and men. It was also said that Catherine was brutally abused by members of her own family up until the age of 11. Now it's not clear who these family members were, but her father Ken was ruled out. This reminds me that her uncle passed away when she was 13, so this could have had something to do with it. Could it have been her uncle? We're yeah. not too sure. There's not a lot of information to find online, so I think you've kind of got to leave that up to the imagination of... It's amazing how a lot of the time 
it is an uncle like someone can it's you know obviously it's normally a family member but surprisingly it's an uncle a lot of the time as well Mm. And where it says that she was she was close to him and she was really upset that he passed away, mm. if she does have this negative perception of relationships, yeah. maybe she was in some sort of twisted relationship with her uncle. Who knows? Yeah. You never know. Catherine's violent behaviour was to unfold through her teens. She attended a school named Muswell Brook High School, where she generally kept to herself, but would pick on children smaller than her. Typical bully behaviour where you can't pick on someone your own size. She would start to become more confident and it's reported she assaulted a boy and a teacher. Although she would frequently let out her anger on others, she was a nice person and would give off traits of a model student. But she wasn't a model student. When she left school at the age of 15, she had next to no skills in writing or reading. She managed to get a job once she left school cutting clothes in a clothing factory. What even is that? Like, what type of job is that? Like, do you just destroy them or do you cut out shapes? Well, it'd be cutting out shapes, yeah. To say so color. it'd be for, like, uh, yeah, the patterns and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, blonde moment. Couldn't think what that would be. Um, she then landed her dream job. <gasps> dream dun, dun, dun. job. What could it be? What could it be? What could it be? Definitely an actress. Cutting awful guys. Who? <laughs> <laughs> cutting awful. What? Awful. Awful. So she cut. So she got her dream job cutting up awful in a local abattoir. And for people who don't know what that is, it's a slaughterhouse. It's a dream job for many, I assume. I agree. That's what I've always wanted to do. Well, if you've got some anger issues, what better to take it up on? Next job for you, Jen. (laughs) I think I need to go back to school just with my fucking speaking. (laughs) So, in this job, she was so good, she was promoted to boning. Oh, lovely. So what's boning, Georgia? (laughs) Uh, So we also had to look this up because we weren't quite sure what it was, but it basically means uh, removing the bones from the offal. For this, Catherine would need her own set of knives. Oh, what a lucky girl. (laughs) So lucky. (laughs) Catherine has a fetish for knives, referred to as pickerism. Now, here's a full description. Pickerism is a sexual interest in penetrating the skin of another person with a sharp object. This could be pins, razors, or knives, etc. Sometimes this is serious enough to cause extreme injuries or even death. Pickerism is a Georgia say that word for me. Paraphilia. As well as a form of sadism. Mm. The most frequently targeted areas of the body are breasts, bollocks, and the groin. It definitely says bollocks there. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Go for them with a set of pins is fine. <laughs> I don't get why you would get off on stabbing someone in the tit. Yeah. I do. You do? I like squishy things. <laughs> Just I will squeeze off. to my heart's content. Treasure. I have to stop myself. With a knife? Bare hands. <laughs> she would just rip them off. <laughs> there was a case in the UK of Donna Dennehy. <laughs> case in the UK of Joanna Dennehy, who went on a murderous killing spree. She was also thought to have had pickerism fetish, shown by the nature of the crime and her Facebook page, which would show comments and pictures fascinating over her knives. We would definitely cover this case in a later episode. This is also related to such cases as Jack the Ripper, 
Chikatilo and Albert Fish. I know him. Um, Catherine would go on to honour her knife set, going as far as displaying them over her maritable bed. As you do. <laughs> yeah. And I realise I said maritable, but it's marital. <laughs> yeah, marital bed. And what's wrong with just a print from Ikea? Yeah, just fuck off down Ikea, get a palm tree. Yeah. It's sorted. Done. Catherine was now living in Aberdeen, New South Wales, Australia, and met David Stafford in 1973 at the young age of 18. David was an alcoholic, like her father. Due to the trauma of his early life, death of friends, he witnessed a really big car crash with lots of children. They met near her place of work at the abattoir. Catherine felt that she had control over David as she would stand up for him in fights using physical violence. She also pushed them to marry after only being together for a year. Barbara, Catherine's mother, would go on to warn David saying, watch out for this one or she's going to fucking kill you. This could have come true on the wedding night. Catherine attempted to kill David by strangulation as he fell asleep after only having sex with her three times that evening. What a bastard. I know, you know. Bang out of order. How yeah. dare he? How dare he only have sex with her three times? Touch, Disgusting. Touch. <laughs> Shortly after the birth of Melissa, their first daughter together, David did a runner due to Catherine's constant control and abuse. In interviews, David would describe the torment. Catherine would burn his clothing frequently. Then, on another occasion, she hit him round the head with a blunt object. David ran for his life to a neighbour before collapsing in their front garden. He was later treated for a fractured skull. You would think Catherine may have received an assault charge but she didn't as the charges got dropped but David did leave her and her newborn child Melissa in 1976. The violent outbreaks on David and psychotic outbreaks she had in the upcoming months was diagnosed as a result of postnatal depression. Postnatal depression known as postpartum depression which affects 15% of women after childbirth most women experience a brief period of worry and unhappiness after delivery, but... If anybody gets off on, like, scribbling pencils, we're the girls. <laughs> we got you. But if it lasts more than about two weeks, the diagnosis of postpartum depression is usually given. In the worst cases, it can cause psychosis. Catherine was once seen walking down the high street, literally swinging Melissa violently in her pram from side to side. This led to the first time of Catherine being admitted to hospital where she spent six weeks under the supervision and care of healthcare professionals. Catherine was not ready to leave the support of the hospital as she then went on to place her now two-month-old daughter Melissa on the railway tracks in Aberdeen. Absolutely mental. While going to the local town threatening to kill passers-by with an axe. Okay, why wasn't she locked up at this point? <laughs> why was social services not called? <laughs> Did they give the child back? <laughs> why would you? <laughs> you seem perfectly sane. Have a baby. Yeah. Luckily, a local man rescued Melissa moments before the train was to arrive. Melissa was so lucky. Such a lucky Do boy. you know what? We got the train here, me and Jackson today. And when we were sat at the station, they had a train, you know, when it announces like this train is not stopping. It's like mm -hmm. a free train. Fuck me, it nearly pulled him off the bench and we were sat like way back from the yellow line. I panicked, I was like pinning him to the seat. <laughs> I, oh could just, I knew you could just envision something in your mind. I just like could see him getting sucked from the bench onto the train tracks. <laughs> it's horrifying. Oh, gosh. Luckily, 
You made it here. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. Catherine was taken back to hospital, but somehow managed to release herself the next day. What the fuck? How do you release yourself from like a psychiatric hospital? <laughs> Especially when you've been about to kill your child. He's swinging her by the arm, uh, popping her on the train tracks. And then just going around like, I'm going to chop you up with an axe. Normal behaviour. Yeah, okay. Fast forward to 1990. Catherine was 35 and she fell pregnant by a co-worker named John Chillingham. John is not on the scene for long, however, but Catherine gives birth to a son named Eric. She left John after three years and this is where the main victim of our story comes in. John Charles Thomas Price. John Charles was born on the 6th of January 1955. When him and Catherine had met, Catherine was still in her previous relationship with John Chillingham. Prior to this, John Charles had actually ended his marriage with um, with his previous partner, I'm not sure of her name, uh, which he ended in 1988, and he left his two-year-old daughter with his ex-wife, and he actually took his two older children to live with them. In 1995, even though he was aware of Catherine's violent outbursts and a domestic and domestic abuse, and they moved in together. Catherine did have a good relationship with his children, and he, he did earn a good wage for the family from working down in the mines. Catherine loved to control men in her life. Her first marriage indicates this, which is what she would do to John. She insisted that they would marry, but John had just ended a marriage and did not want to get into another one. Catherine would punish him for this. John had gone through a waste bin at his workplace and had stolen out-of-date medical kits. Catherine went on to film what he had taken and sent this to his employers. Employers. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I pronounce any words? This was misconduct and he was sacked instantly. What a bitch if he's got a good wage. Why would you jeopardise that? I'm sorry. Because she's a bitch. <laughs> oh, train! Train! train. <laughs> Run! <laughs> Melissa, no! <laughs> oh, Georgia, that's sick. She lived. <laughs> John kicked her out of his home for this. He would not stand for her games. Months later, returning back and forth until she was finally kicked out in February 2000 for stabbing him in the chest. With her beloved knives. John even would go as far as getting a restraining order against her because he felt she was so dangerous, especially towards his children. So she's flipped. I thought she had a good relationship with these kids. But yeah, now, now she's stabbing their father in front of them. I'm, I'm not being funny. Most dads would typically kill <laughs> so a bitch. He's, you he's... know, if they're like that protective over their children, they mm. would they would go for her. But he, there's clearly some sort of to in and fro of getting back together, breaking up, getting yeah. back together, breaking yeah. up. Yeah, so scared of her. Yeah, it's controlling, isn't it? On the 28th of February 2000, John Price arrived at his home. Previously that day, his co-workers had shown concerns for John about Catherine due to his last attack. John felt he had no choice to return home because of his children. He needed to keep his children from his previous marriage safe. Would you not maybe go away for a bit? Just fucking leave her. Why would you send the children back to live with their mum? With their mum, mm. while you sorted your shit out. Didn't get this. Yeah, anyway. it sounds like a weird divide. 
the girl stays with the mum, but the boys stay with him. This is quite consistent yeah. in this story. Like, isn't that what happened to Catherine's family? Like, half of them live with, like, one family member and then with their dad and then move back in. Yeah, it's very confusing of who who is staying with who. Yeah. And whose children are who as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> is he John? Is he John's? Is he David? No? No. Nope. We don't know who the real mum is. <laughs> <laughs> but when he got home, his kids weren't there and nor was Catherine. Catherine had sent his children away to a sleepover at a friend's house. So John decided to visit his neighbour and spent the night with them until 11pm. When John arrived home, he had a shower and fell asleep while watching TV. Now it's maybe not in that order, but that is just an assumption. Catherine was then to enter the house while John was sleeping. Catherine had her knife and expressed her fetish and continued to stab John viciously and repeatedly. After the first few slashes, John fled. He managed to turn on the side lamp, most likely out of confusion, then ran for the front door. Catherine chased him down, catching him just before he reached it. Oh, like fuck. A... It's the worst part in any horror movie. I was just it? about to like say. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm so close, I'm so close, I'm so... Oh, oh no. <laughs> Shit film, turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> now, can anybody guess how many times Catherine stabbed John? Well, it's her fetish, isn't she? Isn't she? Isn't it? So, it's a clearly lot. a lot. Yeah. yeah. 37 <laughs> times. Jesus and he was bleeding out in his own home. During the seven hours after he was murdered, Catherine had left his home to withdraw the max amount from an ATM in Aberdeen from John's bank card, maybe to flee. That's like a dead giveaway. That's so, that screams guilt, doesn't it? I just don't get why people do this. I'm not saying that I would ever murder someone, but I think if I did, I would have enough sense not to go and empty their bank account moments after killing them. I I just, I, it's just I've drawing watched, a massive red arrow to, to you, isn't it? I, I watch a lot of crime programs and I just don't think there's a perfect crime. Like, I don't think there is. Yeah, but the perfect crimes are the ones we know nothing about. Yeah, I think you might be onto something there. <laughs> when she returned, Catherine did something you couldn't make up in your worst nightmares. Now, this is when, if you're eating, stop. She got her precious bowing knives and removed John's skin from his body. Gross. She then hung his skin from meat hooks, hanging them on an architrave leading into her living room, setting the scene out of hostel. This is where you've absolutely, completely gone batshit insane. Yeah, you've, like, you've lost it. You've, you've just lost all ties to being a human being. I feel that she's withdrawn that money and she was going to flee. And then something clicked. clicked. Yeah. yeah. And she returned to then do what I'm just about to talk about now. Because... Do, you know what? I, do you know what? I just had a really good idea. I'm going to skin him. Yeah. I'm just going just gonna to do flesh. what I love. It's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, isn't it? That was based on a true guy mm-hmm. who actually mm. did that. Oh, mm. I can't remember. Literally made clothes and shit out of it. I know. I remember. I, it's a really famous one. It's really old, though. It's not actually as yeah, it's really, really, really old. Yeah, it's really, really old. If that wasn't enough, she decapitated him and boiled his head with a mixture of root vegetables. Lovely. Okay. At least she's trying to make it taste nice, I guess. <laughs> Catherine dished up his cooked body parts with a popular dish of meat and potatoes. But you just wouldn't want that meat to be human. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Not my choice for a Sunday race. Telling you that now. I like chicken. So, 
<laughs> so cute. I like chicken. So I'll give you a list of what John was served with. So we've got potatoes, pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini, which to us is a courgette. Love courgette. Cabbage, squash, and to top the dish off, some lovely gravy. Oh, love a bit of gravy. Yeah, but I'm not going to lie. If someone smothered a dish with gravy, probably wouldn't even cross my mind that it might be human. No. You would just eat it, wouldn't you? Sorry, mm. beetroot, courgette and gravy? Beetroot. Should I have beetroot and gravy? Well, you There's a lot like... of um, root veg in here, isn't there? Pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini and squash. She's done the rumble of the fridge, hasn't she? What, yeah. what can yeah. she find? <laughs> yeah. She's just using leftovers. <laughs> the rumble of the fridge. <laughs> this meal was set on two plates at the table with the name of John's two children. There was a third plate, but this was thrown all over the back lawn. Could this have been a meal that Catherine had made for herself? Or maybe the daughter that John had as well, but would never come home? Was there a message in that random plate that's thrown outside? Or maybe she started eating it and thought, think... this is fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John doesn't taste great. <laughs> of what remained of the body, not an image I'd want to imagine, was sat up with his left arm draped over a soft drink of 1.25 litre bottle with a note. Now, excuse the grammar, you should remember that Catherine did not have spelling or writing skills. So I'm going to attempt this. If anyone likes to help me with this, please, you can join in. I just enjoy reading it on the paper. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Would you like to it, read it, it brings me great joy. Go on, George, you read it. Okay. Time got you back, John Nathan, for rapping, brackets, raping my daughter, aka daughter, you to beck for Ross for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. Sounds so much better in a Bristolian accent, doesn't it? <laughs> Everything sounds better in a Bristolian accent. I don't even understand what, what that means. But doesn't that kind of indicate... I know that she is clearly not literate and she can't write for shit, mm. but she has lost her mind. Yeah, and she, like she's completely... Yeah. <laughs> now, if any of my family are listening to this, <laughs> this reminds me of a cousin. <laughs> she might write... <laughs> Um, but yeah. So Is I there could... a story behind this? We, we know the one. <laughs> but it just reminds me of her. Like what, how the spelling? She, how she might write. And, okay. and just the anger and the way I'm reading it in my head, I can picture her saying it like that. She's I guess not, in like, you know. in rage, an extra P. Yeah. And the John Athon. The and way it's spelled. John's little, John's dick. Yeah. Now little play John's with little dick. John's dick, John Price. Who's Little John, for one? Yeah, I take it he's clearly named a son after oh, himself. Or yeah. he named his penis Little John? To Beck for Ross for Little John. Yeah, what does Ross what mean? The fuck? Who the fuck is Ross? To Beck. To Beck? You to Beck. I reckon you she might Beck. You, you to Beck for... Oh, fuck no. We're, we're rambling now, guys. We don't know what the fuck she's on about. Um, but basically what it boils down to is there's... I think that she may have accused John of assaulting her daughter. Yeah. But there is no, no evidence of this. No. Well, it's not even her daughter, is it? She's saying, um, I'll play. Oh, uh, no, don't worry. It makes sense now. No, actually, it doesn't make <laughs> it still sense. still doesn't make sense, but <laughs> this is the gist. So, Catherine's intention was to feed those two plates to John's children when they returned home from their sleepover. 
Sick bitch. Also, wouldn't you be slightly pissed off if you got home from a sleepover and your dinner had been out all night and she hadn't even cover over it? <laughs> Flies Just everywhere. put a colander over and the top. And it's fucking Australian. <laughs> it's fucking Australian. And it's your fucking dad. <laughs> yeah. Forgot about that one. Yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> the important part. Me and Jenny are pissed off that there's flies on it. <laughs> the congealed gravy. Yeah. Bastards. Police got called to the scene at 8am on the 1st of March 2000, the day after John's death. They were contacted by John's work colleagues. John was nicknamed Pricey at his work, and colleagues had grown concerned that he didn't turn up for work that day, especially knowing he was concerned about Catherine's behaviour towards him. John was also with his neighbour before the attack, he noticed something unusual about John's house. His car was still on the drive. The neighbour had expected John to be at work and went over to check on him. Maybe a little wake-up call, mm-hmm. you know? Nice thing to do. But I wouldn't personally notice, I don't think. Cause he may I'm have been a bit hanging, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's to, who's to say? As he approached the house, he noticed something wasn't right. At the front of the house, there was blood all over the door. This blood was from John being so close to escaping the horrors that were in the house that evening. As police arrived, they broke the door down to find the horrific scene inside. Catherine Knight completely comatosed after taking a large number of pills in a suicide attempt. Police also found his boiled head that was still warm on the hob. Oh, gross. So imagine being police that you called to the scene you think your friend is in, in the house. There's blood on the door. Maybe expecting something if she he's got like an abusive partner, but finding her like just hanging out with a <laughs> decapitated body and they're finding the head in a fucking pot. Also, what police officer decided to go, I'm going to look in this pot. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. What is that film where they lift it up and there's a bunny in it? What is that film? Um, cool. No, not cool intention. Oh my god, what's that called? That type of scene. Now, maybe, yeah, maybe the they thought of that. that. Yeah, yeah, maybe they thought of that. I'm like, it's oh, a big fucking pot. This guy's just missing a head. I wonder. <laughs> or they don't have their lunch there and they're like, mm, sure. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> there's a lovely bit of stew there. Yeah. <laughs> is that pumpkin and courgette? <laughs> don't mind if I don't do. Don't mind it. Oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> Catherine was immediately arrested. She was held until court proceedings started in March 2001, where she pled not guilty, as her plea of to guilty of manslaughter was denied. Catherine, even to this day, has claimed to not be responsible for the crime against John. Her defence team claimed amnesia and disassociation. As can be imagined before and throughout the trial, more than several jury members were excused. This was due to the nature of the crime. I think definitely the disassociation would come in after she went to that ATM. Yeah. And that's when. Yeah, because it's clear that she, you know, wanted to kill him, right? With all the previous. So she's clearly capable of doing that. It's the other stuff yeah. that I can kind of get the disassociation it's, with. To me, that is premeditated as well. It's definitely premeditated with, with the going to the ATM. That's the dead giveaway there. Yeah. Amnesia, I feel, is after you've done something, you forget about it, whereas during the crime, you're there. Yeah. I. That's how so I was mean. Was she even aware she'd done it? I think she may have been disassociated when she was removing his flesh because that is completely inhumane. How can yeah. you be a human and fucking, fucking skin someone? During the trial, even these details would cause Catherine to become hysterical. This trial was lengthy, 
But in October 2001, Catherine changed her plea to guilty during an adjournment. How do you even say that word? Adjournment. Adjournment. Fuck it. Word. Judge Connor O'Keefe advised for Catherine to have a psychiatric assessment to measure whether she was mentally able to process the consequences of pleading guilty. Catherine was ruled as sane, but had shown indicators of a borderline personality disorder. So what is borderline personality disorder? According to the NHS, a person's mood and how a person interacts with others. That sounds pretty vague. So here are some symptoms of what someone that could have borderline personality disorder, emotional instability, a disturbed pattern of thinking and perception impulsive behaviours and intense and unstable relationships with others. Shit, I think I got BPD. (laughs) I know many people with BPD. (laughs) BPD is actually linked to other criminals such as the likes of Bundy and Dharma. But personality disorders are completely different for each individual and that can be put on a scale of mild to severe. BPD does not make someone a murderer and isn't proven to make someone more dangerous than another person without without the telltale signs of a personality disorder. Now, I think everyone has a slight personality disorder. I think think with the broad spectrum of of any disorder, everyone could fit into it somewhere. Yeah, I mean, we've all got bad traits that that need working on. I think think I have some. (laughs) Well, I know I've seen things about people who, you know, sociopaths, is that sociopathic disorder? I don't know if it's called sociopathic disorder. Just, but if you're classed as a sociopath, you could have all of those traits. You could be actually diagnosed as being a sociopath, but that does not mean that you would commit such mm. awful things. It's it just helps. It just helps, yeah. <laughs> um, and in a way, is it just putting the blame on something? Yeah, mm. rather than I'm just a see you next Tuesday. I think that's what they try to do in this case as well, to kind of get her off with a lighter sentence, a sentence almost, to mm. kind of give her all these different names of things to... It's just trying to put a label on it. Yeah. Oh, she yeah. did this because of this label, she did that yeah. because of that label. Maybe she just did it because she's a mad cunt. <laughs> she's just a horrible, horrible cunt. <laughs> I get people can be messed up from their childhoods and stuff, but... Some people are just assholes. Some people have had like horrific childhoods. They don't start skinning people. <laughs> hanging yeah. them on the doors. I'm hanging them on the doors. Feeding them to the kids. I know, I'm just Have you seen it. these curtains? <laughs> <laughs> They're made for my ex husband. Please be thinking of Fanny curtains. <laughs> <laughs> what lips? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. It's like jerky. My flesh curtains. My flesh curtains. <laughs> Here's where the story draws to a close for John Price. On November 8th, 2001, Catherine is sentenced to life in prison. And not just that, she is also given no chance of parole. Catherine Knight is the first woman in Australia to receive a life imprisonment with no chance of parole. And she is serving her sentence at Silverwater Women's Correctional Centre in New South Wales, Australia. I think the first woman here in the UK is probably Myra Hindley that... She, I'm pretty sure that's the case, yeah. Yeah. She deserved that as well, so... Mad fucks. Mm-hmm. I do not think Catherine expected this, and she later appealed this decision in 2006, but no luck for Catherine, as her appeal got denied. 
rightfully so. <laughs> just about what I was yeah. going to say. But I, I think that's, she, yeah, she's a fucking nut job. But obviously, as we just said, she's a fucking dick as well. Yeah. You know, she, I think, I, I think she knew exactly what she was doing. She may have gone into a bit of like a hazy bubble at some moments, um, like de-skinning, but I think that's a good sentence for her, to be fair. I mean, clearly it's her job that sort of what she did for a living pushed her to do what she's, but, she did to him. So there was probably the motions of her job if she was in that sort of weird mm. state of mind. But at the same time, surely... You know you full have, well. You have maybe thought in the past of doing that to a person and you're gonna fucking feed it to the kids so she's taking advantage of her skills and her job to kill john price yeah 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 so do you think having a borderline personality disorder would have played a part in this crime i think it plays a part but i don't think it's the only reason she did it Mm. no i agree i think we pretty much covered that earlier with how it doesn't mould a person, it just yeah. may add to it. And what about her postnatal depression? Do you think that came into play? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I know you can become, like, I think my nanny had psychosis, like, from my dad's upbringing, from what he's told me. She would, like, poke him with pins. Like, Tell the truth, you know. I know. Pin in the finger. And she was a bit loony tuned at that. I mean, mainly my dad didn't go on to kill anyone. Neither did my nanny, but or that I know of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She might have done, who knows. Um, but no, I think, I don't think it does. I think I think that would go after some period of time. I don't think it ever goes. I think it can affect you for the rest of your life. But again, it's just so many women have that. And what percentage of those women turn into psychotic killers? Mm. So maybe it is all sort of, it all adds to the pot, which then helps it to boil over. Yeah, and, no, and I her agree. To go like this. So maybe she's always just been a bit of a nut job, not a very nice person. She's had these sores, and then having the borderline personality disorder and the postnatal depression is all just added to it, and then that's where it's made that's us flip. That's what made the head yeah. stew. Yeah, the head stew. That yeah, with head stew. Yeah. Boil over. Pun. <laughs> <laughs> So, hearing this story, would you class Catherine sane? Yes. I think she knew perfectly what she was doing. Uh, I kind of disagree. I think that she's clearly got something wrong with her. She's not sane. I I, 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 I think she should be in prison. I don't think she should be in a a mental hospital, but there's clearly something wrong with her. Do you think she was sane enough to be in the courtroom while they were giving her detailed descriptions of what she had done to John? Yes, I do. I would I would say so, yeah, because I think the initial murder, she knew what she was doing. Mm. I think it's the rest of the stuff, which maybe where she, she wasn't she, said she, she wasn't in her, yeah she was yeah. disassociated with it. So, but then you've still done that. Yeah. Why shouldn't you be made aware of what you've done and, and still be punished for that? But then there's cases where people have slept walk and killed someone, and they actually can't be punished for that unless there's a way of proving that they were actually awake but there is cases yeah, where people he, he killed someone and he drove to his like family's house killed them and got off scot-free because he was sleepwalking did oh, you well, I don't believe that how, how no, do you prove true. that yeah i've i've heard of things like that really? before yeah it's a true case i can't remember prove that about. you were asleep yeah um there's you... there's ways of trigger um triggers that have been found um like people if you're sleepwalking you're not aware of the light oh that's scary so in this case that I watched which had been found that he was guilty in this other case 
he went inside and got a torch whereas if you're sleepwalking you wouldn't know that it's dark and you needed a torch so that's how they proved it that he was aware of what he was doing Ooh. So he tried to... No, that's scary. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. We'll have to cover a case of that, yeah, I think, because I've not... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've not heard of a yeah. sleepwalking case. Yeah, it's good. Well, Dan sleepwalks, that's a bit scary. It's a fucking weird So that draws the end to our episode. Mm-hmm. So, um, Thank you, Amy, for doing today's research, for one. You've done a really, fucking really brilliant job. job. Sorry, I cocked up pronouncing 90% of my parts but we will get there eventually so this is our kind of first episode which you've kind of said to yourself you know what whatever we get we're going to release it so sorry if I've missed out any information like this is my first time kind of proper writing one up um so kind of if you're not sure look it up um, and you can always kind of comment to us send us an email whatever we can kind of look and as always we've obviously we've gone online to find this information so anything that is incorrect we've you know just let us know yeah go online guys look us up girls talk crime podcast hopefully we should be on every major podcasting platform and then follow us on the likes of facebook instagram we'll try our hardest to get a twitter (laughs) out there i'm not gonna lie but we'll get one up there for those people who do want to tweet us if you have any feedback for today's episode you can email us at girls talk crime at gmail.com Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.